was, oh, Connie, <laughs> who snuck up front here. That's great. Um, she's going to share God's word with us, so we're happy to have her. If we could just give her just a quick welcome. <laughs> Let's just give her a round of applause to just welcome her up to the front. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I am so short for this thing, podium, but that's okay. Our word today, our scripture reading today, comes from the book of First Kings. I'm going to, oh, okay, it's green now, so hopefully the slider will work. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so good morning. Um, Before we read into the scripture, yeah, good morning to everyone. My name is Connie, and um, good morning to those who are also joining us online today. Um, Yeah, Pastor Steve is away at a retreat, so um, he graciously just uh, asked, and I humbly accepted, so um, but hopefully, um, yeah, it, I just can never get used to this. I don't think I ever will, so uh, just bear with me today. Um, so again, our, our, our message today comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verse 18, or verse 8 through 16. Um, we will be reading from the ESV Bible, which and the Bibles are in front of you as well under the chairs, but you can join us through your own or through the app as well. So if you can, please stand as able for the reading of God's word, and may the, may the Lord bless the reading of God's word today um, for us today. Now Elijah, the Tish, I'm sorry, then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, Go go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she and she did, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may all be seated. So again, I actually would like to um, just um, pray for us real quickly before we get started. Precious Father, um, we thank you again, Lord, for this uh, day. Um, God, I thank you, Lord, for um, just, yeah, using someone like me to to make an attempt at delivering your word and, and, um, yeah, and sharing a little bit just more of you through the scripture reading. Father, I ask that... um, that you would join us, um, that your presence would just dwell in this place, God, that um, we may be able to read this word for word and uh, walk away with um, just something small, um, even just one thing, that we may walk away with it and meditate and just um, yeah, and be in amazement of just another part of you. So, God, um, we want to just lift you up um, through this message. We want to honor you, and so we give this time to you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 
Not that long ago, I uh, heard a pastor give an analogy of how to get a better understanding of reading the Old Testament or when we are reading the Old Testament. And he did it by comparing <clears throat> a scene, which we see often sometimes in movies. And he, did, <clears throat> he didn't specify a movie when I was listening to his message, but the one that came to mind for me was, um, was this. And I'm sorry, I didn't even... Oh, yeah, it was this. And if you don't recognize it, um, that's fine, because that's not really important. Um, but if you're wondering, it's from John Wick 3, specifically, um, if you've ever watched the trilogy. And I am certain, from my memory, there was a scene. I can't recall if it was exactly, it said three hours ago or earlier, whatever it was. But there's always a scene in some type of, especially like an action-packed movie. And I'm sure you can think of at least one, where, there's, where they start out with a frame where there's like a high chase or like a running scene or some fighting scene. And all of a sudden, it then quickly turns to a different frame saying, you know, like three hours ago or 24 hours earlier or whatever, something along those lines. And now we know what the purpose of that is, right? And that is to provide the audience with some sort of background context as to how or what led to that specific action-packed scene or dilemma. So in the same way, when we are reading the Old Testament, the scripture, it's so important that we travel back a little bit and we look ahead and go back to really understand what happened, you know, three hours ago. So before we go over this story verse by verse and dissect it a little bit, we're going to look at, and I'm going to explain just a little bit of what's happening prior to this passage. I'm going to sum up basically like all of First Kings up until this point. Um, but first, it's important to note, I mean, obviously we know that Kings is divided up into two books, right? Um, but in actuality, it should be read and seen as one book instead of two. It's basically one long narrative. And that's actually the same for all the other one and two books of the Old Testament. The division has more to do with more of the uh, ancient scroll um, being divided rather than the actual content itself. And this is really unlike the New Testament because those letters that we see is actually divided up into individual letters. So as a whole, if you were to ask me, um, I'm sorry, yeah, that was the scroll if you're thinking of what a scroll looks like. And if you imagine like this long book being written in a scroll, like at one point, I'm sure the writers just had to like make a cut. And so that's what happened. But now if we were to ask me, um, sorry, yeah, if you were to ask me to describe the book of Kings in one word, I would say it's a book about failures, just simple failures. Because the author of the book here throughout is basically evaluating and grading all the kings, and it's basically an F, except for, with a few exceptions. But for the most part, and as a whole, the kings mentioned, especially in the northern kingdom, are all failures in the sense that they actually broke covenant. They did not follow in David's footsteps. They were unfaithful, and ultimately they lost sight of theocracy, which is upholding a government where priests were ruling in the name of God. So in other words, instead of worshiping and honoring the one true God of Israel, Yahweh, the one who, secure, who would secure the promised land, the descendants, and the blessing through a Davidic king, here you had a kingdom that was falling fast and hard into false worship and deities. And mainly, there's a mentioning of a, a king named Baal, or a god named Baal, who they believe provided life-giving you know, life forces like water, um, and fertility, and rain and thunder. 
So as a result, God brings a drought over all the land. And we know this because that's exactly how this chapter starts, 17. And God uses a prophet to first confront King Ahab, saying, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And at the same time, in chapter 17 is where we are then introduced to the famous prophet that we all know, Elijah. So following this confrontation now, God tells Elijah to hide at a brook, which is a small stream or a river at the time. And he says, he, will, he says, I will send ravens to you to deliver as food supply, which I read that and I thought was crazy, but it actually happened. That's how he was able to sustain. As he was hiding, he used that little brook for water, and it was the raven that came to deliver him bread and meat day and night. But then after a while, because of the drought, the brook also dried up. So then is when we can finally continue into, verse, um, into this passage, verse 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now in these two verses, there's a couple things that I think that is important to note. And one, the first thing is communication. Elijah didn't move until he received the specific direction from God. It was communicated to him. And I know that for Elijah, this was an absolute direct revelation. But I think the principle here for us is that God also leads and directs us through his word, right? Which for us in, you know, is, is the Bible, and it's through our constant communion and the reading of scripture that we are guided and led by the Lord. In verse 9, there are three specific commands or instructions that the Lord gives in this short verse alone, and it's arise, go, and dwell. Or the way I interpreted it was, get up, go, and stay. What's interesting is that uh, Zarephath is um, a small town in Sidon, and it meant a smelting place, which is a place of testing. And Sidon, that city, was the center stage of the Baal worship, the, the false god that everyone was kind of just worshiping and just falling for. And I can only imagine, you know, Elijah thinking, like, what an odd instruction like after he's you know sent me to this little brook to be fed now he's sending me to this I don't know I I think it might have been a little bit daunting but what's even more amazing to me was that was his his response which was really no response at all Um, in fact at least no verbal one right because and 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 I you know I, I paused at that thinking and wondering how many times have we also received an instruction from God? And one that maybe just didn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, in our lifetime. But we obeyed in, with, with the response just physically, you know, and just acting without any verbal response, asking or complaining as to why or having questions. And, um, and I, I was trying to think back, and I honestly couldn't really think of any moment where I think God was giving me some sort of direction and, and I didn't have a verbal response. It was always a verbal response and then a physical response. It was never just a physical response. And we know that with Elijah, how he exactly responded, because in verse 10 to 12, it says, So he arose, he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. 
And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we, that we, that, that we may eat it and die. Now this part, these three verses, I found to be, like, like I was kind of scratching at my head because... Like, if you're picturing, here's a stranger, a complete stranger who just came into this gate in the city, into this town, and he sees the very person that God said would be there to feed him or to supply for him. And he calls out saying, basically, hey, like, would you bring me some water? I don't even know, like, how he would set it. To me, it just sounded rude. Like, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. It was like no greeting, like, hello, like, God told me that you were going to be here. But it was just, hey, could you bring me some water? And I don't even know if it was like a pleasant ask. You know, but what's even more like odd for me was the fact that the lady, the widow, without question, decided was about to go and fetch him some water. But then he but then to make even things to make things even more disturbing, he calls her back and is like, oh wait, and some bread. You know, like bread, please. I, again, I don't even know if it was politely asked or whatnot, but he says like, yeah, get me some water, but oh wait, like, get me some bread too. And I just kind of pictured him like asking like a waiter, you know, as she's like kind of walking up with the, with the menu already in hand, just asking for like something more. But then that's when in verse 12, the widow finally responds and she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we, that we may eat it and die. Like, it, it just sounds so dramatic. And to an extent, it, it kind of sounded a little bit sarcastic to me. But... I think, but we know that what she is saying here, it's, it's real. Like, because here are some things about the widow in this scenario. In these ancient times, most oftentimes widows were considered to be very powerless and they were often in need of protection by the law and the government. And we know also that she was poor. She wasn't only just a widow, but she was poor because she was gathering sticks. And the gathering of sticks actually signified, um, it was a sign of poverty. It meant that she didn't even have firewood at her own place to you know, build a fire. And she was out you know, picking up scraps. And God, was, you know, God brought drought, right? He didn't, he didn't bring like, a, a lack of wood. You know, but, so the fact that she didn't even have some of this at home just goes to show like, how much she just did not have. And she was just ready. Like, she was just ready, basically, for, for death, for starvation. Her final words does sound very dramatic and exaggerated, but it really was the literal truth. She was preparing for her last meal for her son, for herself and her son, because she knew that given her circumstances, ultimately they would die of starvation because of the drought. But then Elijah, we go on to see, he responds to her by saying, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, which even up until this point is hilarious because I'm just kind of like, did you not hear what she just said? And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, because at this point, I think now she kind of was understanding what was going on. And she and he and her, house, and her household ate for many days. 
The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, in this like small story alone, I think there really is so much packed in here. And I had a very difficult time. Like, God, how do I condense all of this? Because there's, you know, even like researching commentary upon commentary and reading it over and over through various, you know, versions and translations, it's just different things start to surface the more you read it over and over. But ultimately, when I prepare for any message or when I'm reading, you know, the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, I always ask and I look for, so God, where are you? Like, God, where are you in this passage? Where are you in this story? And ultimately, for me, I found three things, you know, in three pla- or three places that where I felt like God was there and it could be a better understanding of who God really is to us. And first is God's faithfulness revealed through Elijah. It was very clear to me how God was being faithful to Elijah, even from the very start of when he commanded up, you know, Elijah what to do, going by the brook to, to be fed by ravens. And because he was basically supplying, even in a time of drought. But what I, when I reread the passage, I also could see how Elijah was, in fact, almost mirroring and reciprocating that same exact faithfulness that God was giving to him back to the Lord. And specifically, we can see this even before he also left for the town of Zarephath to meet this widow, because in his faith in God, he was able to go and hide to be to go hide in a stream like a small river and be fed by ravens. Because if you think about it, I don't know if without any faith, if, you, if God were to tell you to drop everything and go and hide by this, I don't know, this little creek and wait for a, a stinking bird to, you know, to bring you food. If it wasn't for faith, of his faith in the Lord, I don't know if I could, you know, if he could just get up and leave just like that. But he does. And Elijah's faith in God also led him to the widow and to lean on her for support. And if you think about it, of all the people that was maybe in that town that he could have come across, and God was trying to lead him for survival, right, for support to, to sustain in this time, he led him to a widow who was not just a widow, but she was poor. Like she was also feeling depressed. You know, she was hopeless because we know that she was just ready to die with her family. But yet, without question or complaint, he obeyed. And I believe that that obedience came from his faith. And he knew that regardless of whatever circumstance that God was putting before him, that God would sustain him. And if you actually read on even into, the, into this narrative completely, even going forward, there is this consistent act of obedience in his faith. He has consistent faith, and out of that is his consistent obedience in the Lord. And in the same way, I think for us, you know, it's something that we can also learn from Elijah that we also should be obeying God because we have faith, and, but our, that our obedience should be the result of our faith. And, you know, it says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And so it is faith that is always comes first. And, you know, it, even when we look at the widow itself and we kind of put up, place ourselves in the shoes of Elijah, if we're looking for survival and sustenance, I don't know if you would, if, if a poor uh, person lacking in finances who maybe doesn't even have shelter, who barely has any food to eat, is someone that you would go for and to lean on for support. But that's, what, that's who Elijah was. And what drived him was his faith. 
And third, or second, I also saw God's ability to use people. Specifically, in verse 9, I, I, find, I, I find this you know, this small phrase to be so interesting because he says, I have commanded a widow. And it makes you wonder, was the widow waiting for Elijah? You know, did she have any kind of sense or like a, like a hint of knowing that, you know, someone like Elijah would be coming? And obviously, if you read, like no matter how many times you read it, the content of it doesn't really, you know, tell us that or suggest that she would have known. Um, but in fact, she wasn't aware at all, I think, of what the kind of role she was playing in ultimately God's plan for Elijah. And one commentary pointed this out by saying, I believe this expresses the divine will of God. It shows that God commands or wills things to take place, and they do. He uses conditions and dispositions of men and women and brings them to pass. And an example that he went on to share was um, when you're in need of a job and you find it, it will be because God willed it or God commanded it. And your, your new employer may not be aware of it unless he is a believer you know, or a Christian, but it ultimately will be because God willed it so. And I think that's so powerful. Also, the widow, like I said, was very poor. She was depressed and facing starvation. And again, she's the very opposite person of who you would go to when you're in need of a support. But yet, this is the very kind of person that God chose and used to support Elijah. And I think this, this verse is, or this story is a true reflection of the verse that we find in 1 Corinthians, verse, um, chapter 1, 27 through 29, where it reads, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So just you know, observing the widow and, and understanding how God uses her. I think it really should be of no surprise the kind of people that God chooses when he is trying to work out his plan, even in our lives. But I also, you know, in this moment, paused and wondered, what will be my response? What will be our response if he chooses, if God decides to choose a weak, a poor, a powerless to work out his will in our lives? Will it be disappointment, or will it be despise? Will it be complaint? Will it be just endless questions? Or do we just sit there and thank him for what he is doing? And I think that's such a challenge. And, I, and it's still something that I, I know that I, I can't confidently you know, stand up here and say that it's something that I can do without doing all of the above. Lastly is um, God's prominent presence what I, is what I found. And it actually goes so far beyond even this little eight to nine, whatever verses that we read, because, and beyond this narrative, actually, in its entirety, because it goes on for chapters into the second Kings. And earlier I mentioned to you that um, the background context of the book of Kings, overall, it's where, you know, the author paints a picture of not only what failure looks like, but ultimately what it leads to. And the book begins with rebellion and idolatry, and it's all brought on by the kings, and it ultimately leads to the fall of the nation and the fall of Jerusalem by the end of kings. And it also goes into depth of like how they all got there, but in the midst of all this failure, in the midst of all this disobedience and a divided kingdom, comes this narrative of Elijah. And actually, the Elijah narrative continues on to the next prophet, Elisha, after he ascends. 
And if you look at the book as a whole, from 1 Kings to the end of 2 Kings, again, it's one long narrative. This particular narrative comes at a point to mark really a pause in the entire narrative. It's almost like a placeholder in this whole story of kings to remind us that the one true king has never left this narrative, has never left this place and his people. You know, we are first introduced to Elijah and his encounter with God in chapter 17, as, I, as we read earlier. And later, upon his ascension, Elisha is the one that carries on his mantle. And further, we see also him living the testimony of God and, and living out his, their, their faithfulness. So if you look at this book as a whole, we see that the story of Elijah and Elisha, and it, it's literally, if you count the chapters, it's like the dead kind of center of the entire book. It's placed to serve as a reminder that God is still ever so presently in control and he works and he continues to be faithful, especially when his people are not and especially when his leaders are not. And I think that's something that I always need to be reminded of, especially when I'm in a place of serving the Lord. Haram, can you please come? So I know that what God does and who he chooses in our lives often to, you know, to work out his plan is sometimes, or more oftentimes, I think a testing of our submission and of our faith. And I don't know how many of us here can truly identify with Elijah or even the widow and whatever, or even any of the circumstances that was you know, said for that matter. But as I was preparing for this message, I just really was left with the thought, why is it so hard for me to respond in faith even after learning of this part of God, like these like three different parts of God? Like, why is it still so hard for me, Lord, to respond in faith? And at the end, I couldn't, I didn't get an answer. Like, I, I, still, I couldn't really, I think it's like a really long report or an assignment that I have to work out and figure out why it's just so difficult. And I'm sure there's a long list. And I'm sure for you, it may not be an answer that you can also kind of immediately, you know, come across. But what I did hear from the Lord is, is ultimately to just, just ask me. You know, it's just ask me for help. And I think that's a start. And, I, and my prayer for all of us today is that even though we may not have the immediate response like Elijah did, or even the widow without her even knowing her role in this ultimate God's plan and his will, that if we don't have the confidence to just kind of get up and go, that we can at least ask God for help so that we can be more like a reflection of God's faithfulness to us and a reflection of how Elijah also models this faithfulness to the Lord. So, if you can pray with me. Uh, Father God, I know there's just so much jam-packed in here and I'm not sure if the main points were um, truly delivered, but God, if anything, I just ask, Father, that we can um, walk away with truly understanding of what kind of God you are and of what, how faithful you are and how much you provide and sustain us given any and all circumstances and how we can be a true reflection of that. God, 
We want to be a reflection of that. We want to mirror the same faithfulness that you give to us. But God, I know it's so hard, and I know it doesn't happen overnight. So God, I'm here, and we ask, Lord, for that help. God, we seek for that strength. We seek for that faith, Lord. We seek for that faith so that out of that faith, we can just obey just as Elijah did. So God, um, as we walk and as we just live out our daily lives, regardless of, you know, no matter what circumstances may come, no matter what drought may come our way, God, I just ask that um, you would remind us of this character, of your character of faithfulness, and God, that we would be driven by that to be able to just press forward and know, God, that um, you are always providing for us because you're just, you're that God, you're that faithful God. So God, I just thank you again for this um, opportunity. I thank you again, Lord, for this teaching. And I thank you, God, for um, just this, this church, Lord. May we be of people that follow after you in your footsteps and the people that we read in your word. May we be of people that are always in communion with you in the reading of your scripture, that we may just be in your likeness every single day. So God, um, may you just um, be uplifted and be honored in everything that we do. And God, we just, yeah, want to just thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.